alcohol and uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies? Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Podcast, Paul and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 41st episode of Polcast. This is our special episode made entirely in Poland. Both Małgorzata and I happened to be in Poland and on our separate visits had a few days overlap. Actually, one of the segments was recorded in Vienna where Małgorzata traveled to receive a prestigious award. The Golden Owl, often called the Polish Oscars. Hers was in the category of media, which did include our podcast as well. We apologize for the sound quality in some of the interviews. We hope you will find them just as interesting as we did. Okay, so this is the first time that the Polkas group has ever met in Poland, Tomek and I. In Poland, in Warsaw. Absolutely, where we both come from. Uh, actually, yes, the different sides of the river. That's right, you were on the bad side of the river. No, I was on the better side of the That's river. That's what Saska Kempa. Okay, among those of us who thought that you were from the wrong side of the river, your part was the good side, <laughs> the good part. Yes. But you come from the, the oldest part of Warsaw. Of Warsaw. From the very center. I never lived outside uh, downtown Warsaw. And this is the first time since we worked together for many years. We are meeting in our... Totally, absolutely crazy coincidence. But the reason is... Well, the reason is that you came to visit your family and I came for other purposes. And well, so you, you came to... to accept, received a very prestigious award. So I'm going to Vienna soon and I'm coming back. But anyway, the most important thing is we're here. We've been to a number of meetings. I love the opportunity. Uh, the meetings are exciting. Uh, our listeners will hear all about the meetings and what comes out of it. Uh, for true. the first time in podcast short history, we have materials actually produced in Poland. So stay tuned. And Poland is exciting. Always. Totally. And Warsaw is incredible. Is it? Yeah, wonderful people. Oh, absolutely. I just finished talking to a guy who is from Saudi Arabia, and he says it's the best place in the world. Right. So, hey, you have a good trip back, okay? I'm flying back tomorrow, and you're going to Vienna the day after. That's true, and I'm coming back on Monday, and then I'm staying for another two weeks. So I'm going to probably record a lot of things in, in here. But anyway, you go to Canada and tell them I love them, okay? I'll, I'll hug the whole country. <laughs> hug Canada for me. Okay. All right. Safe trip. Bye. Małgorzata mentioned her conversation with Ali, a student from Saudi Arabia. Here is their conversation. So Ali, you're from where? From Saudi Arabia. And when did you it's first come to Poland? It was since uh, it was uh, 2012. So this is now what five years? Yes. But you five. told me you might be staying until 2020. Yes. 
training. To do what? Same doing my studies mm -hmm. here and uh, helping my sister to, to finish studies. Mm -hmm. In what way are you helping her? Mm, because we have a special program like send like exchange program mm -hmm. medicine mm -hmm. and uh, Saudi government they send the student to study medicine out of Saudi Arabia to come to, to Poland many different countries many different countries uh -huh. why did she choose Poland mm, because they found it good here like in what way Mm, many ways, the university, mm -hmm. the life here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's how you feel. You like it? Yeah. Do you I have many Polish friends, or do you mostly stick with people who are from I don't know, came from other countries? I know a lot of Polish friends. Yeah, and I, different people from different countries. Like, yeah, because here you are. You know, you are in the center, and if you are in the center, you have many options. Yeah. What do you like about Poland? Everything. You really like everything? <laughs> yeah. Like what? People here, culture, architectures, the nature, the atmosphere in general. You don't mind the climate? No. You don't mind the cold? No. Oh. <laughs> everything is fine. Wow. And you're obviously, because you come from Saudi Arabia, you have a different culture and different religion, right? You're Muslim. Does that, is that a problem here? No, I don't think so. Like in Saudi Arabia, like uh, it's like uh, when you are going from east to the west, from north to the south, from south to the north, it's like three thousand kilometers, like mm -hmm. to across the, and you have different and from east to the west, it's like you going like two thousand kilometers, mm -hmm. like. Like you are going from here to France or to Portugal, it's like different mentalities, different, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, to, to be completely honest, I mean, the fact is, right, you look different, right? Here mm -hmm. in Poland, because everybody in Poland looks more or less the same. Not exactly. Mm -hmm. does, that, does that create any problems? I mean, do you feel sometimes... No, I feel okay here. Really, I feel good. I don't have any problem here. Mm -hmm. Just when you go out in the right time, like not too, like especially when you are in, with Polish people, like inside the door they become more nice than when they see you outside. Have you traveled a lot in Poland? Other yeah. Than, yeah, you have gone I've around been, Poland? Yeah, around Poland, like Krakow, Gdansk, mm -hmm. Bosnian. I felt okay everywhere. And you learned English in Polish. And Polish and giving uh, Arabic lessons when I have free time to uh, Polish people who study in advance in Islamic and Arabic and language and Islamic culture. culture. Where? At the university? At the university. Oh, okay. Yeah. Could you stay in Poland for good? Mm, yes. How is your Polish? Yeah, Kotako, as you would say. Kotako, Kotako. Kamsi, Kamsa. in Arabic, you would say. How do you say that? Kamsa, Kamsa. Yeah, in Hebrew or in Arabic. Samit language. No, I know a few words. Polish, it's, uh, it's come from Slavic language. Yes, Slavic. And the uh, Hebrew and Arabic, Farisi, it's come from Samit languages. Yes. What is the plan for after 2020? To continue traveling. <laughs> but in Europe or somewhere else? Uh, over the world, I All would say. Ali is a traveler. 
<laughs> but but Poland is the country where you have been the longest. Yes. Non-stop. Mm -hmm. Like you travel back to Saudi Arabia. From yeah, to sometimes time. yeah, I go back like just for weekend and. For the weekend. Yeah, and come back here. Yeah, it's just uh, five six hour direct flight. Really? I kind of thought it was so far. It's not that far. It's not like that far. You are almost neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> We're just neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, okay. they say the this word small village. Yes. It's a it's become right. smaller and smaller. So you call your friends and family and say, I'm coming for dinner. No, I just go. Like <laughs> you just go. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they invited me to come to eat dinner and You yeah, come from a, a family you told me where there are seventeen of you? Yes. Okay. Well, your your brothers and sisters they live in, in Saudi Arabia or they're all over the place? The the youngest one he lives in United States. Mm -hmm. He's doing studies there. Mm -hmm. Me and one of my sister here in Poland and yeah, most of them they are in Saudi Arabia. After a short stay in Warsaw, I did go to Vienna, but I was already very sick and came back even sicker, so forgive my voice. While in Vienna, the day before the Golden Owl Award Gala, all the laureates were invited to a beautiful concert by Camerata Polonia, Polish Chamber Orchestra in Vienna. What a treat! The concert of film music featured a guest from Poland, renowned clarinetist from Katowice, Roman Widaszek. Camerata Polonia, created in 2010 and conducted by a famous Vienna organist Marek Kudlicki, is the only exclusively Polish chamber orchestra in the world. Its members are young musicians, soloists successful in international competitions, but also who play in other chamber ensembles and orchestras, such as the Vienna Philharmonic, the Vienna Symphony Orchestra and the Radio Symphony Orchestra. I had a brief conversation with two young musicians right after the concert. Okay, all right, I'm very impressed with the quality of what you guys do. How often do you practice, how often do you play together in this particular ensemble? In this particular ensemble, one project in two months. Yeah, normally we practice, yeah. Five projects in a year, in a year, actually. So do you play in other orchestras? Of course. Of course. Of course, we have different projects around. Most of us, we are studying. 
Okay, but this is a, this is actually a Polish orchestra, right? It's a yeah. Polish chamber orchestra. Yeah, there are yeah. only Polish musicians. Right. Now, what makes you want to play in a Polish orchestra? <laughs> yeah, firstly, we are students. So But you were born in Vienna? No, no, no. Oh, none of us is born in Vienna. We are arrived to Vienna to study okay. mostly and we find out in our orchestra and we try to show in Vienna that there is also the musician from Poland that play together. There is no other orchestra chamber orchestra like this. There was a big boom for Szymanowski in the last years, also in Vienna. Also in music fair and you can find many concerts with Polish music. Maybe not that much like Austrian music but still something. I think it should be it should be more actually. It's um, really difficult to, to find the time. Also it's yeah. up to to money, so if there is not that much money then we rehearse only few days. Three two days. Three. That's all you did before today? Yes. Yeah. That's it. Are you going back to Poland? From my side, not. Well, I'm staying here. Okay. Yeah, I'm staying here. And your here. name is? Agnieszka Kabut. Agnieszka? Kabut. And your name is? David. And David, you're going back to Poland? Uh, yeah, actually, my wife is in Warsaw, so I'm traveling between Vienna and Warsaw. Congratulations, guys. Every Thank two you. weeks. Warsaw is full of young people, students from all over the world. At a panel discussion about the future of Europe, I met three brilliant young women, a Pole and two Hungarians, one of whom moved to Austria. One of the issues that came up at the panel discussion we all attended was lack of involvement of Polish and Hungarian young people in what's going on around them. I talked to my new young friends to hear their views on this topic. My name is Orsoya, I come from Hungary, but I study in Austria. Mm -hmm. uh, I am Frizina, I am studying in Budapest, but now I am studying here in Warsaw. I am writing my thesis about the V4 countries, and that's why I am really interested in the Central Eastern European right. region. And both of you are Hungarian by origin, yes, except yeah. that you are now the resident or you moved to Austria. I moved to Austria and I spend most of my life in Austria. And my name is Alexandra and I'm from Poland, studying in Poland, Warsaw. You also study international relations, right? uh, Yeah, and so European also. studies. Okay, but let's talk a little bit about, about how young people get involved in anything that's going on in the countries where you live. So we have now Poland, we have now Hungary and Austria. Is your young generation really very much involved in what's going on, politically, culturally, everything? In Hungary, and among the Hungarian youngsters, they are not so involved in. They are not, uh, not. I cannot say that they are not involved in because everybody has the same right. But um, 
uh, they are not interested in in the politics. They don't want to talk about it. They uh, they they are not they are not exciting about it as much as I can be. But I think it's depending on the family background. For example, my my parents are not politicians, or they are not related to the politics at all. Mm-hmm. But every day, I since uh, I was involved in the historical studies and everything. Every dinner, every lunch, every weekend ended up in political debates among mm-hmm. the family, and that's why I think uh, it gave me a lot of uh, like. That's why I was I was choosing my my professional like international mm-hmm. relations, and um, I think it's mostly depending on the on the family background and um, mm-hmm. and the social culture cultural traditions mm-hmm. uh, rather than the. Um, current political issues in, mm-hmm. in Hungary, for example. And what about Austria? Well, I was actually, t- to be honest, I was I was surprised when I moved to Austria to see how how engaged students are in the political life. There's so many young people, like university students, are engaged with certain parties and they are also organizing some protests and and demonstrations. Mm-hmm. And it, that was very surprising for me because in Hungary during my high school years, that's not really what I what I experienced. Um, and I also don't come from a very political family. Of course, we talked about it at home, like very openly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, I don't know. I never felt that I should be more active, or could be, or uh, I never. When you were back in Hungary, like, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Do you know why? Like, do you have any reflections, ideas of why this could be the difference between those two countries? I mean, after all, they used to be one country, and there's very many, there are many similarities. So why? Well, one thing I, I, I keep noticing since I live in Austria is I feel like Hungarians have to struggle much more for the day, day, day from day living to earn their money to, to create like average lifestyle. Mm-hmm. While Austrians, since also the salaries are higher, they I just have this this um, general feeling that they have much more energies to to devote to other things they they find important. Mm-hmm. You know, Maslow's pyramid. You mm-hmm. have you have the basic yeah, the phys- needs. physical needs, and then you can try to realize yourself and fulfill your dreams. And That's an interesting idea. So the idea would be that the better of the society is generally, right? The more involvement there would be. Do you agree with that, Olaf? Yeah, I think this is right uh, because the the situation in Poland is actually similar similar to the situation in uh, Hungary right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that the majority of the students are uninvolved and or or not interested in uh, in uh, politics and uh, what's going on with their rights, and that's that's depressing. <laughs> But does that mean that in the countries that you come from and you live in, and you live in, which is Poland and Hungary, does that mean that the students or young people are not in any way aware of the fact that everything is important? Like that, you think people people take it for granted that they have what they have, they have the freedom to move around Europe, this is never going to change. Is that what it is? Yes, I think um, our generation, like those who were born uh, after the 90s, like the transition, mm-hmm. uh, we we got everything like for free, and we didn't experience this time when uh, the free moving, the f- uh, freedom of speech, and everything was banned or uh, restricted. Or, uh, restricted. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. and um, that's why they are not thinking that how big values are, are this because if we are thinking about the transition was only within 30 years ago, okay. so. I think it's really young, and that's why we should know know more in details and more uh, deeply uh, what does it mean exactly. And um, 
That's why they cannot imagine that how much how much work was in it. How hard it was to get yes. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In Hungary, in yeah. Poland, is, do you think there's enough education about that? I think the that the education in Poland is not a problem because we are constantly mm-hmm. reminded mm-hmm. of the nightmares of Second World War uh, and of solidarity movement. So th- this is all around us mm-hmm. in everyday life. But still, um, there is in young people there is um, one issue is that one, they do take it for granted the mm-hmm. freedom of movement and so mm-hmm. on uh, and the second thing is I think they think uh, that the, uh, they have more important things to do like what? they have jobs they study and have jobs sure you That's you true. have to shuffle that right mm-hmm. um, also they, they they go to the gym and this is important issue right now they they have to go to the gym and that's non non negotiable as an exchange student uh, traveling is is the right. most important thing <laughs> because all around me like my my friends in the dormitory are from other countries uh especially who need visa to to come to uh to Europe they are always traveling and that's why they are not caring about it but at the same time they are not noticing that the freedom of movement it's something which is a value uh, the yeah but hold on but you're talking about your stay here in Poland yes well mm-hmm. why would you protest about the situation in Poland if you're not Polish because we have the same problem i think right. in Hungary and in Poland and obviously if we are uh if we we don't need to be like involved in the political studies or the political issues, but just reading the articles in Hungary like three years ago and Poland nowadays because the new government was elected not so yeah, I mean one year true. ago like one year ago yes and uh, that's why they are doing the exactly the same steps like our government was doing uh, during this time and that's why I just came here to aware the Polish station just don't do that. <laughs> Um, I was thinking about the question you raised, uh, whether we get enough education on the topic or mm-hmm. not. And the, uh, thinking about Hungary, we have so many of those national holidays and all the commemorations where we were fighting for our freedom and freedom of speech and and all those rights which we take for granted now. And And yet I don't really think that our generation can fully grasp it. We didn't grow up having to fight for these things. Yeah, um, it's like very difficult to imagine living without computers, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think those celebration celebrations are um, very shallow. This is just uh, you know the anthem of the country, the soldiers, the president, the officials and that's it. And for example for me, uh, it was like maybe two years ago I realized the monstrosity of Warsaw uprising because I was just going around Warsaw and I remembered uh, some pictures of uh, Warsaw uh, between the wars and how it changed and I was like, oh my god, they literally destroyed the 80% of my city. But Did of you ever go to the uh, uprising Warsaw? Sure, uprising sure, sure, sure. That's I an amazing museum. It, it is. Have you been? I want to go, but it's a multimedia and incredible yeah. experience. Incredible yeah. experience. Okay, so this is not about the education. This is about the times changing and the fact that you guys just don't feel what it could be when it's not there. All that freedom. Just one more thing about mm-hmm. education. I think this is not about education of history, mm-hmm. but education of civil society. That's what yeah. uh, what, what's lacking. Okay, so what would you want to see in that curriculum that's not there? 
I don't know so much about the American or the other side of the Atlantic mm-hmm. education, but according to my knowledge, uh, they get more um, deeper uh, knowledge about the rights, their rights, their movements, their uh, like civil society knowledge and everything, and that's why they are more conscious. Uh, and of course, uh, everybody can get it, like from the library, from the university, from like mm-hmm. other civil movements or civil organizations. But it's really hard if it's not provided from the education system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also about like in- informing ourselves about the current affairs. We had basically we have never covered it in school. Like we were, I I participated in history contests, so I I used to know everything about like the Middle Ages and. Mm-hmm. But um, not much about what's happening. But we were we we had no classes to, to current affairs and like uh, the the uh, civil or like civil rights or just the social situation. Like we we never really talked about it. What's going on in the world nowadays? Mm-hmm. It was. Sometimes when I had brilliant teachers, they tried to talk about it, but they had so much other literature and history lessons to cover that they never had energy and time for that. Mm -hmm. And I find it really a shame because now when I don't have the teachers to provide me with with materials, what to learn, and I can select it for myself, I really find it a challenge to to find good sources of information for myself and to really learn about the world. Like I really feel like I don't know so many things. And yet I have such big knowledge about the Middle Ages. <laughs> sure. The same is in Poland, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, not only in uh, high school and uh, primary school, but also it's also lacking uh, during our student years mm-hmm. uh, in university. There is no um, even one lecture to cover the current affairs and also for to comment it, because comment is also very crucial. because you can hear the news and you don't know what to think about this and also you need some authority figure not to tell you what to think but maybe you know influence you in some way just uh, give you a context and this is very important in the in the age of fake news right and also about civil society education uh, i think grassroots movements what we can do with our own rights how can we make a bigger impact on a whole society and you hear it but you don't really experience it, experience it. and if you could you can just um, empower yourself and that's really impo- important. So what's, what's really lacking seems to be also the fact that you don't have any teachers or people that could guide you. Authorities, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because you know, sorry, yes. in mm-hmm. Poland, the biggest authority for all, for all the Poles is uh, John Paul II, and he had a big role during our Russian influence days and so on and so on. But now we don't have such a huge authority who would guide us. I think at the universities, it's true in, in Hungary as well <laughs> that. Uh, we don't have like uh, covered those issues from the 90s. So we we are we are approaching the um, we were approaching the the 90s like the transition, and after that the current foreign policy, for example, which is ba- uh, which is connected to my professional like international relations, 
we never talk about it. And I think because of the political issues, because the, even the politologic of professors or those who are philosophers or just some um, really uh, big experts in the, in the fields of them, like political fields, they don't want to share their opinions and views because they are afraid that maybe it will be some restriction or there will be some, some consequences because they were, they were saying something. But I, I need all the opinions from the right side, from yeah. the left side, like left side, yeah, but yes, it's from like everywhere. Like a form of debate, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah. To, like some objective, or, yes, objective, uh, that they are not right wings or left wings or anything. Just give me, give me the details, the information, and after that I can decide that who I can believe. So, yeah, yeah, or you can have a debate between left-wing uh, <coughs> uh, professors or politicians, whatever, and left-wing, and right-wing and left-wing, and, and, you know, have a debate. And this is also very informative. You, do, you don't have to necessarily agree with someone who won, yeah. but you, you appreciate that, yeah, this, this was very logical, thank you, you enlightened my personality or something. Yeah, widen my knowledge yeah, and yeah, my yeah. mind. So yeah. Yeah. About the critical thinking, what I see is, I don't know what, Gurish, what your experiences are in school, how much it was encouraged, but what I see with Austrians is that they dare to say no, they dare to think much more critically, and when we talk about, like, okay, how were your, like, um, high school years, what, did, what kind of things did you learn? And I, I discovered that they have no idea about um, medieval history. They know nothing about, uh, I don't know, the 17th, 18th centuries. But they were encouraged to write essays, to, to critically think about things, to, to write either for or against certain topics. Uh, and that's, that's also something um, that I kind of lack in, in our educations because we don't really have the energy and the capacity to, to really like critically think about things and to, to try to um, somehow develop our own uh, conscious opinion about things. And I think yeah. that's also something that contributes to the whole situation, that we don't really dare to say our opinion because we don't really have a very solid one or we are not used to having to... to like raise questions and think critically. Also, we don't have really a forum to do that. There is no like venue to to share your opinion. I, I mean, you can do it do it socially, right, with your friends. But usually, your friends have similar opinions. So the the venue is lacking, and also someone again who moderates it, who who would tell you no, that is wrong. You, you got it wrong from the history or something. Oh, you mean facts? Yeah, facts. Mm -hmm. Fact checking. Fact, yeah, fact checking. But is there anything done to involve young people in what's going on around them? To activate them, to show them how to become volunteers, how to organize events that interest them? Yes, there are people whose mission is to do precisely that. I'm talking to Yolanta Kulik, whose passion is to work with high school students and the results of her work are really amazing. You have a lot of contacts with young people here in, in Poland and you're involved in this professionally, as a volunteer. How did this all happen? Why did you get interested in the young generation? Well, I had this idea like four years ago 
when I left my job as an English teacher. Um, and at that time, I had this episode working with students from Saudi Arabia. We were doing these foundation programs for them here. And I realized how much they feel kind of lonely here. They had money. We, we were giving them lots of trainings, and we were preparing them to study at medical universities mainly. But they didn't have these social skills, this people skill, organizational, like time management, etc., so when I was free out of my job, together with my friend Grzegorz, uh, we dis- Grzegorz Nawrocki, we decided, well, we started this Oxford debate series, right? And then we had this idea that we need some people to support us, like young people with the logistics. So at that time, uh, I created this um, educational program, Young Talent Management, and we started with Oxford debates, right? Uh, then I had this idea about public speaking club, but then I thought, but who will come like public speaking, young people? Last month we had the 31st meeting of this uh, public speaking club. And what How often are they held? We, we meet once a month mm-hmm. at Polish Academy of Science. We have about... 60 or 70 people, some of them coming on a regular basis, some of them come and go. What is interesting is that some of them come from outside Warsaw, right? Yeah, they come from Poznań, from uh, from uh, Krakow, from Rzeszów, from wow. Białystok. Uh, they, uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of impressive. Some of them already study in in UK. Or what is the age group? The age group is gymnasium and liceum, 14 till 18, 18, 19. And our youngest is 11-year-old Piotr. He's 11 years old and he comes on his own from Lublin uh, once a month. His uh, big dream is to study at Harvard and I think uh, he'll make it. Um, he attends all our activities, so it's not only public speaking club, uh, Oxford debates, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, international guardianship. Uh, so I, um, I have never ever met such kid before. Incredibly determined and, and driven. His brother is also very determined because actually he's a, a British Alumni Society scholar. So he 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 attended um, Elsmere College in UK, mm-hmm. and now he studies in Hong Kong. So, so the session that I attended on Sunday was actually sponsored by three organizations, right? Which is British Alumni Society, Young York Talent, Talent Ma- Management, mm-hmm. and Graduate School for Social right. so let's Research. Let's talk about each one of them and how they contribute to this? Gradual School for Social Research. They do master programs uh, with the University of Lancaster and uh, Polish Academy of Science and they are located in Polish Academy of Science so we get this room for free Yeah, because we don't charge for, for, for our right. program. Right. I take care of these kids so we have like ladies and gentlemen discussion club where we meet and discuss current affairs in English. We have this program, we call it International Guardianship Program program in cooperation with the Rotary Youth Exchange. So we connect kids from the Rotary Youth Exchange, like from Mexico, USA, Canada, mm, Taiwan, um, Brazil, with Polish kids. Uh, we, our dream is to have these, to hold this um, Oxford debate in English about stereotypes. Uh, probably in June in Polish Academy of Science. We have kind of cooking meetings, etc., etc. And we'll see because we just started this program. What I think very special about our program, and when you ask about what's the role of British Alumni Society, mm-hmm. we involve these young people 
in uh activities for adults. So if we have this, if we have this ladies and gentlemen current affairs discussion club in English for adults, like with the director of British Council, it's open for our kids. So they can learn how to discuss, uh, how to interact, uh, and it's also networking for success. There are different people, they need volunteers, so that's how we cooperate, and we also try to teach them that cooperation between generations is a very, very good thing. But when you look at those kids, uh, would you be able to say that they come from certain specific social uh, environment, or are they pretty, you know, like they come from different kinds of families, and it's really hard to stereotype and say, oh, they must be coming from a family with highly intellectual parents? Mm, it depends. I mean, most of them come from the best schools in Poland, right? Mm. Um, but there are kids who are very, very smart, uh, not, I mean, coming not from very wealthy families and not going to very good schools and very, very successful. So where is the key to this success and to this incredible motivation, talent? Where does it come from? Uh, kind of, I would say, people skills, mm-hmm. uh, determination, mm-hmm. uh, cooperation. Do you think they get enough support at school? No. Not at all. The school can prepare only for matura. And, I mean, this is the feedback that I get, right? Um, Even if there are kids who want to kind of contribute and they want to encourage others to come for our activities like public discussion, sometimes they hear like you are here not to get involved. You are at school just to have good results. Mm -hmm. Right. Any amazing stories of success through um, what you have been doing? Yes. There was this girl that called me um, on a November afternoon four years ago, Paulina, and uh, I asked her, what would you like to study? And she I would like to study in Silesia. And I say, why? And I say, because I have family there. And I say, but that's not the kind of way that you think, that you choose the place of your study depending on where your family is. And then I asked her, she was in... Um, She was 14, I think. And then I said, why don't you try to get this bus uh, scholarship? And I said, I mean, but I can't because I live in a very small village and I don't have any resources. And I said, Paulina, but you, I mean, just try, just trust me. And uh, three years ago, she got the scholarship. I was crying, she was crying, everybody was crying. And now she studies at UCL, biochemistry. So I think that that's the biggest success. Like the girl who had no idea she can achieve anything, um, now studies at UCL. That's a great that that's a great story, really. That's a, because it's re, it's real. I always say that if I worked in a marketing department, I could say that sales increased by zero <laughs> point one. And here we have stu- you know we have stories of kids who were with us from, um, I mean, since they were 16, and now they study at Oxford, at Cambridge, uh, and they make dreams come true, and they come back, and they kind of, uh, they encourage other young people. So really beautiful stories. But Paulina is the best. Yola mentioned a debate club which meets regularly in a Warsaw cafe. It's called Ladies and Gentlemen's Club. I attended its March meeting and was incredibly impressed with the quality of the discussion and the level of its participants. 
It was a group of about 20, the youngest participants being Yola Kulik's high school students, whose English and knowledge are truly extraordinary. My Polish and Hungarian students also came and participated actively. There were also many adults. In terms of nationalities, the group was also mixed. The debate club's discussions are chaired by Richard Washington, a Brit, who is the director of communications and recruitment at the College of Europe, a bilingual English and French independent university institute of postgraduate European studies with its main campus in Belgium, but also one in Warsaw. Here is a sample of what such discussions are all about. Welcome everyone, and this is rather wonderful because this is the largest group we've had for a while, so welcome and thank you very much for coming to the Ladies and Gentlemen's Club, which uh, some of you will know, but not all of you will have been to before. So uh, it's a debating club, it's pretty informal, apart from one thing, and the main rule is that you have to speak through me, so you're not allowed to uninterrupt other people. The question that we've got today is uh, what has been, what is, and what should be Poland's place in Europe. And actually I wanted to, because it's actually quite interesting for me as a Brit, I wanted to answer this question, uh, start by looking at this question in, in a number of different ways. And the first thing I wanted to ask you is what is Poland's, what was, if you like, Poland's historical place in Europe? Um, and what is your conception of that? So if we go back quite far in time, even before the, the division of Poland, so in that period when Poland was actually a, a very big uh, uh, and important player in Europe. I'd be interested to know what your perception of that historical place of Poland was, was. So just starting off, you know, what, what have you learned in your lives? What, how, do you, how do you feel about Poland as a historical entity in Europe? Anyone who wants to, to chip in on that? So I would say that historically, yes, the big misfortune of Poland was that it saw itself as an empire, multinational, multicultural. The way we are still taught history at school, look at it, is this. First Prince of Poland, Bolesław Robry, how he extended the territory. With every king or prince, you are taught at school how they extended influence and territory. Then, whoops, all of a sudden there are partitions. It's a bit obscure why exactly all this expansion ended like that. But then you hear it's a long stories of uprisings. And again, from what I've heard the leading historians debate, the uprisings would not have been happening if there were not this imperial consciousness in us. Mm -hmm. Czech people did not do uprisings. Hungarians did one, to, to my knowledge against the Austrians, while we had a long sequence of uprisings. Why? Because we kept seeing our country as a power. And according to those historians, that vision may have ended in 1944 with the Warsaw Uprising, which convinced, finally, people that that was not the game we could play. But whether or not some people aren't thinking it would be lovely to have it back at least as a sort of pet illusion. I don't know, perhaps. Go ahead. Uh, so, Poland from sea to sea, it was a kingdom and Lithuanian. So it was two or three countries. So uh, I think the idea, the, our idea of Great Poland, the idea of 
Poland in cooperation with, with Ukraine and with some Eastern countries because it was with Imperial Poland. So we had no colonies outside, but we it was not forced. It was a deal between Polish king and Lithuanian prince to make a one big union. And it was the first union in Europe. So it was first European Union here in Poland. <coughs> I would like to also point that Poland actually had imperial ambitions regarding Ukraine. Hmm. They weren't they weren't really I mean it wasn't such a loving union. I mean they didn't voluntarily join our kingdom. But mostly, I believe, Poland's uh, position is as a mediator between the East and the West. Um, whenever I uh, discuss Poland's history uh, with uh, my foreign friends, I point them directly to a phrase and a title uh, of probably the best book about Poland's history, which is God's Playground by Norman Davis. Uh, the name itself implies the history of Poland. It's been a place where, uh, of, of many complexities and, and uh, well, high points and low points. And from them, uh, I've enumerated a couple. Uh, one is first, we, uh, in the 16th century, we are considered by the World Book by CIA, which is CIA's document on every country in the world to be the greatest superpower in Europe in the 16th century. I actually read that in, 10 years ago when I was back in the US. I was pretty surprised with that. Uh, but then again, we managed to single-handedly, by ourselves, uh, put our, uh, became non-existent because a lot of people uh, blame uh, the partitioners, uh, Prussia and Russia and, and uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire to be the, our enemies. But truthfully, <laughs> when you go back in history, you realize we did it to ourselves. Uh, so again, Liberum Veto, I'm certain most of you are aware of this, was the very reason why we screwed ourselves over so many, many times over those uh, in the 17th, 18th century. Um, but we're also innovators. Uh, the Polish Lithuanian Union was one of the first huge unions of, uh, of Europe. And we were also a country to first implement a seemingly full-fledged uh, democracy uh, two years before we fell apart completely. <laughs> uh, right. And also geopolitical scale, um, absolutely undeniable, God's playground, closing in what I wanted to uh, underline here, uh, our geopolitical location is uh, played a key role, um, but going into the present future, it also could potentially in the times of peace be a very building and uh, an experience which can actually benefit us long term in the future. Tim, um, the history, um, it's only a complicated situation, but it seems to me that Poland had found a niche up until recent times. This was a progressive, dynamic, growing economy. It is a tragedy that that has changed in the last couple of years. And um, what I am wondering when we talk about Poland's place, if it continues in this line, it is going to be, in quote, marginalised in Europe. It's going to be happened once, um, and it will be marginalised again. The importance. And, and I think part of this problem is this victimhood bit, because uh, I, I'm, I'm really, you know, oh, we're just terrible. And I really, 
We're not in a terrible position. We're in a fantastic position. Wonderful. We're in, you know, we're in between the east and the west and north and south. You couldn't have a better position. That's why we have so much foreign direct investment. It's a fantastic place to be. But we have to get rid of this victimhood idea and hopefully the political dynamic will... We had started on a path because we can see where our future role lies. Our future role does, like in, in foreign policy terms, with Ukraine and Belarus. That, these are, uh, this is our primary role in the European Union, I see. But I worry that if what... I hope that what we're seeing now, and I would be interested in people's comments, is whether it is in fact ultimately a marginalisation of Poland or it's just a hiccup on the way to Poland being what it should be, a very dynamic, exciting place to be in with very open-minded people, generally speaking, good languages, good skills, good education, wonderful place to be, enormous potential. I wanted to just sort of wrap up on the historical thing, so the, the lessons learned from history of Poland. And are there any things that Poland can learn from its distant history, from its role as an empire at one time? Or is this romantic rubbish that we need to forget to move forward? This situation which you described, it's like really pessimistic, I think. But at the same time, the historical heritage of Poland... Uh, we, um, mentioned the civic movements and the civil society. I think it's more, it has more possibilities to learn from, uh, like from the movements of the transition and before the transition, the underground movements and solidarity. It has something, some heritage that you can, you could, I mean the Polish people, because I'm not from Poland, so that's why I can see it's like, a, like an outsider. Because of the Visegrad group and uh, the V4 countries, which is like, uh, which has, doesn't have like an institution, like a, like a governmental institution, and uh, I think this is the uh, the ground where where Poland and the V4 countries can build up something, uh, which can be more efficient than uh, always looking back to the Middle Ages, to the ancient times and stuff. Because the recent history from the transition and directly before the transition has more significant features now. Than, than the Middle Ages and the ancient. I think there is something fundamental we can learn from our history. And I think this is important, and this is one of the contributions. What happens when you have disunity, when you have this liberal veto, when you have the one person saying, we are right and everybody else is wrong? That is one thing, and that should therefore make us an important player. That understanding... Harris, and it comes from a very, very tragic history. And I think that understanding has a major role to play in our future within Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we can learn from, from history, because Poland was a golden age in Poland, it was in the 16th century, and then it was multicultural, multi-religious country. And <coughs> I think and it's proof. If you have different people uh, living together, working together, you can get the best uh, results. So we can learn it. Now we are one country with, with only Polish people and almost one religion. So there is no mixture. So there is no uh, development, I think. Um, I would like to 
like to underline that we, I personally believe that we shouldn't really pay that much attention to just our Polish history. I don't think uh, our history, just as some country in Central Eastern Europe, should dictate our future. I believe we should look at how other countries around the world work and how we could basically learn from all of them. I don't think just looking at what happened was so great about Poland in the 16th century, I don't think just repeating it again would have the same consequences. And the discussion went on to concentrate on contemporary Poland's place in Europe. My Polish student friend Ola, whom you heard voicing concerns that there is no forum for a discussion on current affairs, loved it and will continue attending the ladies' and gentlemen's club sessions. Well, I still have one and a half weeks of meetings and events in Warsaw. I hope to get better. Every time I return to the city I was born in, it amazes me with its vitality, and I can hardly recognize many places with new supermodern buildings appearing everywhere, with its beautiful coffee shops and restaurants, and lots of culture. I think there are even more foreigners in Warsaw than two years ago when I was here last. And yet, it's rich histories everywhere as well. On a wall outside a beautiful cafe, you can see a plaque which says that this is the place where Warsaw 1944 uprising fighters were emerging from the sewage canals through which they escaped from the totally destroyed old town. You've been listening to the 43rd episode of Polcast. We are very happy that we could bring Polcast to Poland. There is a lot of interest in it, and we signed an agreement with Polish Radio Broadcasting in English that they will use our Polcast material so that Polish radio listeners around the world will listen to the exciting stories that we find and present on Polcast. I hope Mogerzata gets better, and in our next episode, her voice will be back to normal. Thank you for listening to Polcast. Podcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. We're always curious about your reactions, comments and suggestions. Also, ideas for the news stories. Please share them on our website, mypolcast.com. And we leave you with another piece of music played by Camerata Polonia. <laughs>